Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Adam Darnell, and I'm so glad that you're watching today that we can continue in God's Word. We've been walking through the book of 2 Corinthians, talking about the God of all comfort. And today we're talking about the comfort of resurrection hope. And we're talking about the ministry of reconciliation that God has given us as people of the resurrection. This is incredibly timely. Before I read my text today, I want to say a couple of words about current events. The first is a word of celebration. We want to praise God for what He's done through the ministry of our church in this past week. And when I say that, I'm saying I want to praise God for the ministry that you have done in this past week. Many of you know that we've been receiving boxes of food from the Baptist State Convention, and we've been receiving those in our household, and we praise God for that. That's helpful. But I want to celebrate the fact that we have given, in this past week, as far as we know, we've given away uh, food to 28 households. 28 of our neighbors have received food from you this week. And I'm praying that each of those conversations, each of those neighbors that you're sharing with will be an opportunity to minister the love of Christ to people through these difficult and trying days. So I celebrate what God has done. I want you to celebrate with me that we've done that together as a church. The second thing I want to say, the second thing I want to address is less cheerful. I want to say a few things about the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis this past week. Now, everything I'm going to be talking about in the sermon today is going to be very relevant to that. But just at the beginning, I want to say this. As Christians, we repudiate racism in all its forms. Every human being is made in the image of God. That means black, white, male, female, adult, child, uh, able-bodied or disabled, every human being is equal in dignity and worth and value before God. Uh, so we, we repudiate racism in all of its forms. Uh, we grieve with our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ who feel angry, who feel scared, uh, perhaps in these days watching this on the news. Lord, Lord we pray, come quickly. We pray, God, that you would show us how we can minister to the needs and minister to justice in this world. We're talking today about resurrection and reconciliation, which is two things the world deeply, deeply needs as evidence this week. The prophets of the Old Testament especially talk to us about the need for justice. God says through the prophets, he says, I don't want your, your songs I don't want your worship if the poor are oppressed in the land. I want justice for people. So we lament and we grieve with those who grieve uh, and we pray and we look for ways that we can be a part of the solution and not part of the problems in our country and in our city. Uh, we want to see ways that we can right the wrongs uh, of prejudice of all kinds. In the world, yes. In our country, yes. In our city, even. But first, in our own hearts. And so I call you, church. I invite you and ask you and even tell you from the word of the Lord, we have to seek God's righteousness in every sphere. And we grieve with those who grieve. We stand with our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ who are grieving this week. We by the way, we as Christians believe, of course, in individual human sin, that at the root, the worst, at the root of, the, of all the worst problems in the world is human sin. But we also believe in systemic sin, that, that we're all corrupt, and therefore whatever we build 
uh, is corrupt as well in different ways, our, our systems and our structures, and they, it, it can hold people down and cause oppression. And we, as believers in Christ, who are members of the new creation, who've been given new hearts, are called to work for God's righteousness in the world, in the church, and in our hearts. So we reject racism. We grieve. I've been grieving this week. My heart has been hurting as I've been watching and learning. And and I want you to stand with me. And we are standing with our African-American brothers and sisters uh, around the country who are angered and who are upset by this and who have, frankly, dealt with a lot of this for a long, long time. We pray, Lord, for change in this uh, we grieve and we pray. Now we're going to be talking about a number of these things from the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. And we're in this chapter because we've been working through the book of, uh, of 2 Corinthians. So we're, we're just coming to this text and it's amazing how God's word is always relevant to whatever situation we find ourselves in. I want to pray for us and then I'm going to read the text and we'll talk about resurrection and reconciliation. Let's pray. God, we ask you, for justice in this whole situation with George Floyd, the police officer and the officers involved, and the whole system in America, Lord. We, we pray, Lord, you know and you see, you know what needs to be righted. We, we, we ask you to do that. We, help, we ask that you would help us to see how we can be a part of the solution and not the problem. Lord, we, we ask you to be with, with all the police officers who do their job so honorably in the right way every single day. Lord, and that they are surely shaken by this as well. We pray you'd be near them, that you'd protect them. Lord, we pray for peace in the streets of cities where people are protesting and there's anger. We just pray for peace. We pray for reconciliation. We pray, Lord, you'd show us how to be agents of that in this world that's broken and decaying. We pray now, God, that you would help us to understand your word and believe it. And as a church, have hope, sustaining hope in the resurrection and be ministers of reconciliation in the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by reading the text for us. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 through chapter 6 verse 2. And it says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing, to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may, may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what, has done, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, 
that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is God's word, and thanks be to God. Today I want to talk to you about two things. I want to talk to you about resurrection and reconciliation. I want to talk about the hope of resurrection to sustain us in the ministry of reconciliation in this broken, desperate, deathly world. We're facing, of course, a, a global pandemic. We're facing massive economic uncertainty. We're facing the heartbreaking news this week out of Minneapolis and other places. We're facing scary protests and violent protests all over our country. And life is always hard, and it's not like the, the normal difficulties of life have let up just because all of this is going on in the world. And so each one of you is facing different struggles and trials this week. And if you put all of that on top of the coronavirus lockdown uh, and the horrible news that we've been seeing this week, it could be enough to break anybody. But church, we have God who promises resurrection and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. See, God has decisively intervened in this world of death, sin, and strife when he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to conquer sin, death, and Satan through the cross and resurrection. And Christ offers his victory to us. Amen? Today we're continuing this series about comfort from God, strength for ministry in the world. And we're talking about resurrection and reconciliation. So last week we talked about the comfort of resurrection hope to keep us inwardly strong. Today we're talking about the comfort of resurrection hope to help us continue to move outward on mission. And the world needs a ministry of reconciliation, a church that is just overflowing with the ministry of reconciliation right now. So we're going to start with resurrection and then we'll talk reconciliation. Resurrection, we see this in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 5. Our future resurrection with Christ comforts our hearts to go out to the world proclaiming Jesus in at least three different ways in these verses. I want to show you three ways that our resurrection hope strengthens our hearts for ministry in the world. The first one is this. It's a little bit paradoxical. We groan now in hope because we know our future, and that sustains us in ministry. We groan now in hope because we know our future. Now, have you been groaning this week? I've been groaning. The world's been groaning. 
If you have been groaning, you are at least halfway to the comfort of resurrection hope. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 through 5, Paul says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he's talking about our mortal bodies and our future resurrection bodies. The, our, the tent is our mortal body now. It's decaying, it's dying, it's temporary. The building that we have from God is permanent. It's our future resurrection body with Christ. Then verse 2, he says, For in this tent we groan, there it is, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed. We don't just want to die and be nothing but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Our groans in these earthly bodies will one day be swallowed up by glory. In the resurrection, Jesus Christ will come uh, and we will be raised from the dead and we will receive immortal, incorruptible, undecaying spiritual bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. In that day, in the resurrection, we will share with Christ in the new creation and everything sad in this world will come true, as Tolkien put it, and everything will be more beautiful and glorious for having been broken. But for now, we groan in hope. We know that when these mortal bodies finally break down, we have an immortal, immortal body, res, a resurrection body, waiting for us one day. That means that our groans, church, are not the groans of resigned, desperate, fainting people. Our groans are the groans of how long, O oh Lord. They are groans of anticipation. Now, Robert Smith uh, tells a great story about this in a sermon called The Glory of the Groan. He's an African-American pastor and professor and preacher, and he talks about his mom. And it's a great story that helps us understand this groaning. Here's what he said. My mother used to, I used to watch her, I didn't understand it. When we had physical needs, lacks, no food sometimes, she'd walk around and start moaning. Because he says, black folk used to say, when you moan, the devil doesn't know what you're, what you're saying. She'd say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And tears would be rolling down her eyes. No food. And after a while, somebody's knocking on the door. Here comes some turnip greens. Here comes some cornbread. He keeps going. He says, is it possible that when pressure is really on you, when there's losses in, their, in your family, when there's unemployment, where there are relational rifts, when there's disease in your body and you don't know what to say, you just can't come up with the words. When you try to form the words, they get stuck in your throat and the only thing you can do is just groan. Have you ever been there? Well, God hears those groans and we groan for now in hope of resurrection and new creation to come. Lord, why this injustice? Lord, what can be done? Lord, what can I do limited as I am? Maybe you're dealing with chronic pain or health problems. Lord, when will I be healed? We don't groan in these mortal bodies in despair. We groan not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be fuller, fully clothed. And the paradoxical power of our groaning is a comfort, a strength, a power for sustained ministry in the world. 
We know that these bodies aren't all there is. We're not living for our youth. We're living for resurrection bodies to come, and it sustains us for ministry to the end. So we groan in hope because we know our future in immortal resurrection bodies. The second way that the resurrection sustains us for ministry in this world is that we are of good courage because we walk by faith and want to be home with Jesus. We are of good courage because we walk by faith and we want to be home with Jesus. Paul talks about this in verses 6 through 8. He says this, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So it's not just future decay-proof resurrection bodies that strengthen us for ministry in the world. It's also the hope of one day being home with Jesus, that we'll be there with Him, and we'll see Him, and we'll be like Him because we'll see Him as He is. We talked last week about how we don't live by what's seen, but we live by what's unseen. We talked like about an airline pilot, airplane pilot, who doesn't trust his eyes in bad weather or his senses. He trusts his instruments. Well, we're living in the bad weather of this world and we don't trust what we can see. We trust that there is a God who's sovereign over it all, that will make everything right, and that one day we will be with Him. See, if we try to right the wrongs of this world and be ministers of reconciliation without that hope of one day being with the resurrected King Himself, we will faint, we'll grow weary, we'll despair, we'll quit, we'll give up, or we'll have some success and we'll be proud and arrogant and insufferable. But we don't lose heart. We keep pressing on in ministry because of the hope of being with Jesus in resurrection bodies one day. There's a song we sometimes sing that reminds us of this. It says, This world is not my home. Oh, this world is not my home. My home's been made at heaven's throne. Oh, this world is not my home. There's another song we sometimes sing. says, What is silver and gold or anything I can hold compared to you? Compared to you. What is fame and success? It's all just vain emptiness compared to you. Compared to you. All that you hold in store is all that I want, O Lord. We have a hope for sustained ministry in the world because of the resurrection. Because we will have resurrection bodies, immortal, incorruptible, and because we will be with Jesus. And did you notice that Paul said we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord? That's a challenging statement. Uh, Can you say that? That you would rather be away from the body and at home with Jesus? Is your hope so bound up in heaven that you're ready to be there with Him now? That's a hard thing for me to say. There's things I want to see. I want to see my kids get old. I want to grow old with with Heather, my wife. I want to grow old with, with you in the church. I want to see you grow up in the faith. But God's, God's glory being with Jesus forever is so beautiful that Paul says uh, he would rather give up the work of planting churches that he was doing. He'd rather give up this life and be with Jesus. Jesus is that good. He is so far superior to every good in this world that we ought to rather be with him than be here. We're of good courage because we walk by faith and we want to be with Jesus, at home with Jesus. The third way that our future resurrection strengthens us for sustained ministry in this world is that we aim to please Jesus because we're anticipating the judgment seat of Christ. So that, it's paradoxical again, but that anticipation of the judgment seat of Christ helps us to continue ministering 
reconciliation in the world. Paul says it this way in verses 9 and 10. He says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let me just stop there for a second and say, praise God for that. Not all of the the wrongs in this world will be righted until Jesus returns. We work hard in this day to make the world better, to make it more like God's righteousness, but we know that as hard as we can possibly work, it will not be perfect. But when Jesus returns, everything will be made right and every evil will be addressed and every good will be rewarded. Praise God that the groaning that we're experiencing is temporary because one day all will be made right. Now, Paul says that we look forward to this judgment day with anticipation and we make it our aim to please Jesus. That means it's our goal or our aspiration to please Jesus. It ought to be our highest goal as believers. That's what will sustain us through ministry. Now, everybody's living by some kind of scorecard. There's some measure that you're using to determine if your life is successful. Uh, And what you measure is what you're going to get. What what you measure is what improves. So some people's scorecard is money. The more money you have, the better you're doing, the more happy you are. That's how you think. Or some people's scorecard is reputation or position or their their family. Uh, But there's freedom here in this realization that the only scorecard that matters at the end of the day is to what extent did my actions please Christ? Here's why it's freeing. That's terrifying too, but here's why it's freeing. The the money is a God that is fickle, right? It it changes all the time. And sometimes it's just totally out of your control. You can't always make the money you want to make or or control the outcome of your family like you want to. But Jesus is a God who is unchanging. He has laid out his law for us. It's, It's written down for us in the word. And wherever we are in life, whatever we're going through, we can seek to please Jesus. If that is our aim, we can can hold our heads up high in this world and we can work forward to to be a blessing to others and and minister to God uh, and have hope because one day we will stand before Jesus and he will graciously reward us for the good that we've done. Now, We have our eyes then fixed on our future resurrection bodies, fixed on being with Christ forever, fixed on standing before his judgment seat to receive our rewards. And these are things that keep us, they sustain us for ministry in the world. It might help you to write down those three things and these three ways that the resurrection strengthens us for ministry for days when you feel discouraged. It might help you to reference them, to look back, to remember that we groan in hope because we know our future. We are, good, we are of good courage because we walk by faith and we want to be home with Jesus. And we aim to please Jesus because we're anticipating the judgment seat of Christ. So that's the resurrection. And the resurrection hope sustains us for ministry in the world. Now I want to talk about that ministry in the world. What's the ministry that we've been given in the world? Well, in verses 11, 5, 11 through 6, verse 2, It's the ministry of reconciliation. Now, everybody can see that our world is in desperate need of reconciliation. 
Our deepest problem as human beings is that we're not reconciled to God, that all of us want to be gods. And that is the root of the friction between peoples and ethnicities throughout time and place. We need to be reconciled to God. And when we're reconciled to God in a right relationship with him, then we can begin to relate rightly to our fellow human beings made in God's image. So we have this ministry of reconciliation because we've been reconciled to God. And I want to look with you for, through chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 2, uh, about five, we're going to see five truths that clarify this ministry of reconciliation in these verses. Five truths that clarify what this ministry of reconciliation is. The first is that in verse 11, we persuade people in the fear of the Lord. The ministry of reconciliation is a ministry of persuading people in the fear of the Lord. Verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So we fear God. In other words, we, we trust God's goodness, his righteousness, and we, we are reverent towards him and we tremble in his presence because he is good. And knowing that fear, we try to persuade others of the grace and love of God that's ours in Jesus Christ. We want to convince people to believe in Jesus. Now, we know ultimately that the Holy Spirit has to do that work in their hearts, but we make it our aim to persuade people. That's part of the ministry of reconciliation. And so therefore it involves speaking words about Jesus, talking with people, that's the first truth we see about this ministry of reconciliation. We persuade people in the fear of the Lord. The second truth that clarifies this ministry is we are controlled by the love of Christ. We are controlled by the love of Christ. That's in verses 14 through 15. Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So we fear God and try to persuade people. And then we love Christ and Christ's love is in us and we know his love. And we want that love for other people. We want them to know this love that Christ died for anyone who believes in him. And that means that anybody who believes in him has died with him under the punishment of God. And that Jesus died for us to, so that we would not have to die for our sins, but that we could be reconciled to God and live forever with Jesus. So we love Christ and we're controlled by the love of Christ. Can you say that in your interactions with other people, you are controlled by the love of Christ? That's what I'm praying for for my life. That's what I'm praying for for our life as a church, that we'd be controlled by the love of Christ in our interactions with people. And we would try to persuade them then of the love of God in Christ. So we persuade people in the fear of the Lord and we are controlled by the love of Christ. The third truth that clarifies this ministry of reconciliation for us is this. We don't see people the old way anymore because we are new creations in Christ. This is verses 16 and 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In other words, 
before we were in Christ, this is talked about in Romans 1, before we were believers in Jesus, we saw the world through the lens of the old man. We saw the world through human fleshly lens, like anybody else. We saw it in terms of, of tribes. We saw it in terms of, uh, of pride and sin and what we could get for ourselves out of the world. And we judged other people based on the standards of the world. But in Christ, we're being made, being made into the image of God, into the image of Christ. And we now see people with new eyes. We see people differently. Uh, we've been restored. We see everyone, every human is being made in the image of God. And in fact, we see Christ rightly now. Paul says in verse 16, we see Jesus as the Son of God, who, who was higher than us, but went lower than us into death on the cross for our sakes, so that we could be reconciled to God. And now we are new creations in Jesus. We don't see people the old way anymore. We see them with new eyes. We see them as people in need of a Savior, or we see them as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, in need of encouragement and building up in Jesus. Do you see people with the eyes of Christ? A great prayer to pray as often as you can is, Lord, help me to see people as you see them. Help me not see them through the eyes of sin. Help me to see people as you see them. That clarifies for us the ministry of reconciliation. A fourth truth in these verses that clarifies this ministry for us is that we are reconciled to God through Christ. So we, we can't be ministers of reconciliation unless we've first been reconciled to God through Christ. And we have been, verses 18 and 21. Paul says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you're a believer in Jesus, then you've been reconciled to God. There's no more enmity between you and God. There's no more shame or guilt between you and God. You may have been kicking yourself for the last two, three weeks for sins you've committed. But if you're a believer in Jesus, God loves you. And when he looks on you, he looks and sees his son. That's what verse 21 means. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Jesus, who, who did not sin, was made to be sin in our place so that we might become the righteousness of God. It is by faith that we, we take on the character of Christ and that God sees in us Jesus. It's like, it's like we put on Christ as a robe and now when the Father looks at us, he sees his beloved Son. He, he loves you. He loves us. We've been reconciled to God through Christ. Do you believe that you are 100% reconciled to God through Christ or are you still believing that, yes, Jesus started it, but you need to finish the 10% of it? If that's you, you are reducing the glory of the cross. You are reducing the grace of God. You're cheapening it. If you're saying that, yes, Jesus did most of the work of reconciling me to God, but God isn't really pleased with me until I do my little part. Now, I'm not trying to be hard on you if you feel guilty. I'm trying to set you free. God loves you. If you're in Christ, you have been reconciled completely to God. And then, as people have been reconciled, the fifth truth that clarifies our ministry of reconciliation is that we have been given this ministry and we are ambassadors for Christ. We go out into the world, ambassadors for Christ, telling people that the King has come, 
that there is a new king in town, a new uh, kingdom that has come to earth. And he is a reconciling king who dies for his subjects, even when they are in rebellion against him. This is verses 18 through chapter 6, verse 2. I'll just read some of them. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What a privilege. What an unimaginable privilege. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6, working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen, if you're not a believer in Jesus, today is the day. Today is the day you can come into the kingdom of God. Today, right now, you can be reconciled fully to God. And it is in that reconciliation, that sense of, of being connected with the Creator God, forgiven and all your shame removed, it's in that reconciliation that you can then be an ambassador for Christ in the world, an agent of reconciliation wherever you go. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that part of what Jesus has done is torn down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Religious barriers, ethnic barriers, torn down Jew and Gentile. If he's torn down that barrier and made us both one, not, not like one, but actually made us one, how much more has he made us one with our brothers and sisters who are Gentiles of other ethnicities and backgrounds? We are one with the church of God because we have been reconciled together to God. And now we are ambassadors for Christ in the world, agents of reconciliation. Now, what do we do with this? With this amazing message that we've been given, with this grace that we've been given by believing in Christ and receiving his grace for us, what do we do? Uh, my advice is get started. Just start somewhere. Who is it that you know that needs to be reconciled to God? Pray for them. Start praying for them weekly, uh, at least. Be praying for them. Find a way to reach out to them. Ask how they're doing. Talk with them about Jesus. Tell them the difference Jesus has made in your life, the reconciliation that you've experienced. Wherever you are, just get started and take the next step to be an agent of reconciliation in this world, an ambassador for Christ. And as we see more and more people giving thanksgiving to God for Jesus and coming together in local churches that represent and look like the kingdom of God, we will see new creation come to this earth and, and we will wait longingly for the day when Jesus returns to bring it in its fullness. And there'll be no more death, decay, crying, shame, pain, strife anymore. But we'll be in immortal resurrection bodies with Jesus, enjoying our reward, completely reconciled to God and one another. Until then, we work together, church, for reconciliation to God first and then to other people in our city, in our world, in our homes, and even in our own hearts. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. God, we ask you, please, help us to be a church that is on mission, sustained in our hope of resurrection. And I pray for anybody here who's listening who's not a believer. God, save them. Give them faith. Give them life today. And Lord, help us. If we've not been on mission, if we've lost heart, to keep our eyes fixed on the hope of resurrection, that we would be ambassadors for Christ in this world. We ask it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.